listening to First Church Charlotte. covenant. Uh, we like that. We celebrate the New Testament. Can I have an amen? All you guys who want to go back to the Old Testament, I say God bless you and good riddance. I mean, that was that was for them. You know what I'm talking about? We have a better covenant. They didn't receive the promise. I enjoy the Holy Spirit in my life. You see what I'm saying? They didn't receive the promise. They saw it from afar off. It's kind of like your older brother with a candy bar. Ha, 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 ha. And you can't have any. They saw it from afar off. But they were even so faithful to the promise. But we have received the promise. Christ is the mediator of a new and better covenant. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Now, e even this little passage, though, is not like a shout cue. It's not like... Woo, we're going to celebrate this. You have to think about it. What's this word mediator? Now, mediator is a great word. I love, I love mediator. Uh, I like to use it in uh, unexpected moments because uh, I love words. And all you English majors, you love them with me. Um, mediator, what are we talking about? It's not a big word we use. Um, we, we think in terms of negotiator. Now, that's kind of modern culture, modern uh, style of speech, negotiator, but then that kind of makes, it kind of feels odd. You're saying to me, Christ negotiated a better covenant. It, it's kind of a little strange. You have to think about it. You can't just rush past and hide behind a hallelujah. You have to think. The author of the book of Hebrews is really good at that. He doesn't let you just say, woo, yay, hallelujah, can't meet me, makes you think. I know some of us don't like that, but here we're seeing this, this idea and it's hard to shout. I mean, right now, nobody's shouting. Look at you. You're looking at me like, really? What's the point? I'm, I'm confused. I'm trying to show you here, and you just are, are not seeing it. I want you to shout when I say, he's the negotiator of better things, and you don't. I blame Tina. So, uh, a negotiator? That kind of gives you the idea of conflicting parties. That's hard for us to understand why. Why is that hard? Well, you know, we as a church, particularly and as individual believers, we really celebrate that theme that goes through all of the word of the Lord, particularly celebrated in the Old Testament. We love this. We love this theme. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Can I have an amen? Can I have a better amen? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. We like that. We celebrate that. Like the uh, Jews of old, we build upon that foundation. And yet we have this idea here. Uh, that Jesus is a negotiator for a better covenant. With who? Who's negotiating? You know, God is... Here's the problem, and I, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of risk by trying to explain complicated things, but I think it's important for us to try uh, with these ideas, and a lot of times we have to spend some time with them and kind of uh, chew on them for a little while. They're not milk for babes. They're a little bit more meat. You have to chew them and think about them, and then they sit on your stomach for a good little while. And here's the idea. Uh, God God's not finite like we are. We're limited. None of us knows what it feels like to have unlimited money. I mean, maybe Don, but he's the closest one. Nobody else knows what it feels like to have unlimited money. Nobody knows what it feels like to have unlimited power. We've never had unlimited power. Some of you thought you did, but then you got married and you were straightened out. You don't have unlimited power. That's a pipe dream. 
And so uh, what, it's hard for us to relate, not just to God, but to the idea of infinity, no limits. Why does God have no need to lie? Because he's infinite. You lie from a lack of the ability to do what you said you were going to do. If you were infinite, you would have no need to lie. That's why he's not a man that he should lie. He's infinite. He doesn't run out of money. If he said he's going to pay for your college, honey, you're going to college. You see what I'm saying? It's hard for us to relate to infinity. So I'm going to say something that hopefully will shock you. You'll have to think about it. You can be mad at me later. That's fine with me. Uh, It goes like this. There, There is more, there is less distance between me and an ant than there is between me and God. Hmm, see, you just don't know about that. All of a sudden, you're like, are you insulting me? Are you complimenting me? I don't, I'm confused. There is less distance between me and the lowest organism than there is between me and God. Because me and infinity, I cannot comprehend infinity. I don't understand infinity. To know the end from the beginning, to be the author and the source of the beginning and the end, to have the alpha and the omega, all things, we have a difficult time comprehending what godness must be like, feel like, etc. And so what we strive to do, struggling to understand this, is we see God in terms of roles. This is very helpful to us. Seeing God in terms of roles is very, very helpful. And this is why we as a church, we celebrate the following view, understanding, and window, shall I say, to see into Godness, to see into God which is different than godliness. Godness is God as a state of being, the ontology of God. Woo, big word alert. And uh, godliness is to have a nature that is like God. You see what I'm saying? Don't worry, you have no risk of that. <laughs> so, we say this. He is the father in creation. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We understand him through a role. He is the son in redemption, and he is the Holy Spirit in regeneration. Touch your neighbor, say, you're so smart. (laughs) Yeah, God forgive you for lying. Um, We understand God through roles. It's not just us, all through the word of God. People understand infinity in terms of roles. It helps us because we have nothing. We, 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 he's God and we're not. And so we understand God through the idea of a role. And we see him as the father in creation, the son in redemption, the Holy Spirit in spiritual regeneration. And this is particularly true in the New Testament where the people, People writing the New Testament knew Jesus as a person. They knew him as someone who was born of Mary and Joseph. Well, stepfather Joseph. They knew him as a person. And so when you say Jesus is God, it really makes communicating ideas difficult because are we talking about God who is unknowable in the sense of the flesh, who is far away from us in the sense of ability comparison and knowledge comparison and virtue comparison, and then Jesus, who is God in the flesh, the incarnation. So Paul says the truth for all of us, without mystery, great is the mystery of godliness. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And so they sought to understand God and refer to God in terms of roles. This is important. And so when they spoke of eternal God, they said Father. They were not making a polytheism of a monotheistic religion. They were saying 
seeing the eternal God. When they said son, they're referring to the one who was born of Mary. And when they said Holy Spirit, they're talking about what was given to the church, that the church might have a a world-changing impact on the world. And so that does not get you polytheism out of monotheism. This is important. But it helps you very much understand this God who you cannot understand. And so when the writer, the author of the book of Hebrews, who is wrestling with all these ideas, says Jesus Christ mediated or negotiated a better covenant, you have to understand something about God. Yes, there is mercy within the heart of God, but there is also justice within the heart of God. You will not understand it. You will not compare yourself to God and get clarity. If you do, you have mental health issues which you already knew. You must understand that in his infinity, there is the Redeemer who loves you enough to make a difference in your life, and there is also the lawgiver who will not be mocked. We must understand this. And the law given through Moses is that we might have an insight into God and an education about the flesh. You need both. You need to understand the justice of God. You need to understand the lawgiver, and you need to understand your inability to keep the the element of his nature that requires law to be followed. Thus, sacrifice, this is the law teaching us, must be offered even after you've sought to keep the law. You've done your best. You've organized your life. You've put the word in front of you. You wrote down little notes of it and put it on your forehead and, and tied it in your locks. And you, early in the morning and late in the night, and you instruct your children. Uh, you base all your education around it. When does anybody have time to break the law the young Jewish young man wants to know, and yet we're making sacrifice. Isn't sacrifice to be made when we've broken the law? That's not what the law teaches. There is no standard of judgment whether you think you've kept it or think you've broken it. You still make sacrifice. The law's trying to teach you something. I know I'm off in the weeds. Y'all forgive me. You can talk bad about me later. Okay. Here is the author of the book of Hebrews saying, Jesus Christ mediated a better covenant in a perfect manner, not in the imperfect manner of the law. He has created this New Testament in his blood where we are partakers of his goodness, his righteousness, and his holiness. We become the recipients of his perfect sacrificial covering. This is a better covenant. And so you see this first idea in the passage. And then he goes on to say, and the blood of sprinkling, the blood of sprinkling. This is perhaps somewhat easier for us to understand, being introduced to sacrifice and the ideal of sacrifice all through the word of the Lord. And we understand the covering of blood and we understand the offering that is made through sacrifice. Jesus, a mediator of a new covenant by, or the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. The writer has just thrown you off into the deep end of the pool. What he basically is 
pointing you to. He doesn't take the time to explain it. I love this about so much of the New Testament theology. Remember, a paper was expensive. They didn't have paper back then like we do. What they had, the equivalent, papyrus, was very, very expensive. And so they wrote very densely, a lot of ideas compacted together. They couldn't just print off 17,000 copies of whatever somebody thought on the internet. They had to actually be, have economy of their communication. And he is giving you this deep, deep insight. And he makes you think of this guy, Abel. What's the deal with Abel? Why are we talking about this new covenant that is made in Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of his blood? Why is it better? And why does it speak better things? Somebody say, speak better things. Why does it speak better things than the blood of Abel? All right, real quickly, let's jump back, oh, about 4,000 years, and let's talk about beginnings. And here you have the beginning of uh, Adam and Eve's family. They have two sons uh, that we know of in the narrative. One of them is named Cain. Uh, he's the bad guy. And one of them is named Abel. Uh, he's the good guy. And... Uh, there is some sibling rivalry. Now, look, let's be real. Civil, sibling rivalry is part of the human experience. Uh, one of the most, according to uh, researchers, one of the most formative things in your personality uh, is the birth order and how it affected you and how it, it, it formed you and how it made you. And sibil rivalry is, is real. We can't deny that. Uh, we would really try to minimize it if we could. Can I have a big amen? We would really try to, you know, get along with our brothers and sisters, and uh, Cain and Abel are having a problem with that. And um, so uh, they both bring offerings unto the Lord. Somebody say, that's good. That's good. They both bring offerings into the Lord. Uh, this sibling rivalry probably is not new. It probably has been there for years. Most sibling rivalry sits for years just under the surface. And a lot of times you don't even know why that thing that your brother or sister did makes you crazy. You can't explain it. It just makes you crazy. I know you're all being very still. Uh, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. And so um, here you have Cain and Abel rivalry. They both bring offerings to the Lord. Um, I don't believe, I don't believe the problem was in their offering. In the Old Testament, there are offerings of blood, and there are offerings of that which grows from the earth. In the temple system, you would make offerings of both. You could bring an offering unto the Lord. Now, uh, a plant cannot serve as a sacrificial covering in the sense of redemption, but remember, there is no establishment of law in any formal context at this point. There is no uh, instruction on how to do it. They just bring unto the Lord. The biggest difference noted difference noted in the text is that Abel brought of his first fruits, and according to the text, Cain just brought whenever it was convenient for him. Uh, now, if that was the difference, it is a real strong statement of how much God values the symbolic return of the first part of your blessing and increase to him. It's a, it, 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 if that's the passage, it's a very strong statement of that. And uh, Abel makes an offering unto the Lord. Cain does, uh, makes an offering unto the Lord. The Lord has favor upon Abel, and he does not have favor upon Cain. And uh, Cain just, mm, it just burns. It just makes him mad. You know, we like to pretend that, uh, especially as parents, we like to pretend that we're even with our children and uh, every 
everybody. I've never met anybody who thought that they had the easiest time of their upbringing. Everybody thinks they had it hard. Well, except me. I had it easier than my brother did because my brother got a whipping every day. But the difference was I was a Christian. (laughs) It makes perfect sense when you think about it like that. My mother and father being led of the Holy Spirit, they knew who to beat. It wasn't me. (laughs) Thank you, God. See how that works out. I love that. Whatever reason happened, Cain is furious. And the Bible says that Abel comes to the field. The field, the field. Now, uh, you would keep livestock in a certain place. You may be a sheepfold. Uh, you would take them out to whatever reason. But in the field, it's, like, it's almost as though the Bible's saying that, that, that Abel goes to Cain's territory. And what he happens there is Cain kills him. And he hides the body. And he walks along as though things are normal. And the Lord asks. Cain of his brother's condition. And Cain says quite flippantly, am I my brother's keeper? I want to say, yes, you are your brother's keeper. I want to say firmly, yes, you are your sister's keeper. You are. Jesus answers that when he answers the question to the white, to the, to the lawyer, who is my neighbor? Same, same question. It's just much broader in the New Testament than the Old Testament. If the problem is bigger now. We have a larger obligation. And so, Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord says this. And this is an image of Scripture. It's a teaching moment in the Scripture. This is what the author of the book of Hebrews wants you to see. The Lord says, the blood, that innocent blood of that good man cries out to me. That blood speaks to me. It is not silent. And that blood says injustice has been committed. That blood says you are a murderer. That blood says you have everything in common with Lucifer, who like a thief sought only to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that blood speaks. The truth is, all the blood of the human story speaks. And it does not say good things about humanity. You want me to lie to you? (laughs) Let's not. Let's just skip that part, okay? It doesn't say good things about humanity. We are so quick to hate one another. We are so quick to draw dividing lines. We are so quick to create insiders and outsiders. We're so quick to make ourselves feel safe by these little circles we draw. And the cool kids are on the inside. And everybody else is on the outside. And we're so quick to do it. And we grow up from little harmless games of children. And we turn into children in big bodies. And we do the same thing. Except now it's no longer schoolyard games. Now it's war. And now it's hatred. And it's famine. Humanity makes its ugliest moments when it gets power that it should not have. Humanity does not make good gods. And when humanity gets too much power, they are corrupted by that power. They are destroyed by that power. And every crime of hatred that is either written in the history books or swept under the rug of history, it all cries out. And it says the truth about human nature, which is even when we try to do good, evil is present. The apostle Paul called it a law. I want to remind you that the apostle does not call many things a law. He calls this a law. 
let's call it the law of temptation. There's no escaping this law. When I would do good, Paul says, there is another law in my members. And it wars against the good. The blood of a thousand generation generation says that humanity is a murderer and that we're too easily filled with hate and we're too easily filled with spite and we're so quick to fall in league with our philosophical father, Lucifer himself, who looked at God and says, I'm not content to have a God. I will become my own God. That blood speaks and justice hears. And justice says an account must be paid. Oh, but I want to tell you a beautiful story that goes like this. God was not content to end the story with the death of that good man, Abel. He was not content to end the story with the failure of that father, Adam. He was not content to end the story with the weakness and the frailty and shall I say the ugliness of human nature. He said, you told your story. Now I want to tell my story. We told a story of competition and strife and rivalry. Rivalry. We told a story of theft and murder and hatred and war and famine. We told a story of oppression. We told a story of ugliness. And God said, you've told your story. Now let me tell Tell mine. You know why they beat him and he said nothing? Because it was nothing new. You know why they stripped his beard from his face and he opened not his mouth? Because it was not, it was not anything you knew. You know why he was crucified and lifted up and he did not protest and the armies of heaven stood in frustrated stillness? You know why? It was nothing new. Humanity had been killing all the prophets that God had sent. In fact, in one moment of biting wit, when Jesus is hurrying to Jerusalem, he says to his disciples, basically this, I will give you the Nathaniel version. Oh, let's hurry to Jerusalem. It would not do for a prophet to be killed anywhere else. Yes, read it. You've told your story. Let me tell mine. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so another innocent death, another innocent blood shed, another innocent body broken. But this time, everything is different. It's not man's story. It's God's story. This time it's different. It's not our hatred. It's God's love. It's not our rage. It's God's patience. It's not our willingness to break and destroy. It's God's willingness to be broken and destroyed for us. And so he died, the just for the just, that he might bring us to God. And we celebrate that as the gospel, the good news. Christ made a difference. And what's amazing is the author of the book of Hebrews says this. His blood speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood says, look at those human hearts. They look good on Sunday, but oh, you should see them when they're mad. Abel's blood says, ooh, they dress up so pretty, but you take their seat at church. (laughs) 
Abel's blood says. Oh, watch them. Sing Hosanna. And three days later, shout, give us Barabbas. Abel's blood says. You've been trying to do good. (laughs) Kind (laughs) of. Abel's blood says. Oh, you love people, don't you? As long as it doesn't trouble your little comfy world. Abel's blood says all these things, but I want you all to know, and this is my message to you, Christ's blood says better things than Abel's blood does. Christ's blood says this, God believes in you. It speaks better things. Christ's blood says, he's not given up on you. Christ's blood says, yes, all of those realities of the human condition may be true, but I love them enough to get involved in the story. They've told their story. Let me tell mine. And the author of the book of Hebrews says, look, it's true. Abel's blood says all the wrong things, but can you perceive that Christ's blood says all the right things? And so I want to say this to every person here today. However frustrated you are, hear me today. However frustrated you are, however down on yourself you are, however much you've thought about quitting, thought about giving up, Christ's blood says to you, He believes in you. Christ's blood says, you're worth taking a chance on. Christ's blood says, what he has begun in you, oh, that good work that he has begun in you will be brought to completion. Christ's blood says, he is able to keep you from falling. I feel like some people on this side of the church need to hear that part, okay? He is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the throne of his glory with exceeding joy. Christ's blood hmm, says don't give up. Christ's blood says don't talk yourself into quitting. Christ's blood says he cares enough to give everything in this hopeful chance that love will win you over. His blood speaks and it says I'm clean. It says I'm forgiven. It says I'm accepted. It says I have a future. It says I'm not trapped in this ugly context of my life. It says I'm not the forever limited by the weakness of my flesh. Christ's blood says good things to me. Christ's blood says the best is yet to come. Bump your neighbor. Say Christ's blood says the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Are you frustrated? I'm speaking to you. The best is yet to come. Have you been beat up? Don't say, of course, you have, you're married. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Have you been beat up? Are you dragging a leg? Are you limping? Christ's blood says, tomorrow is going to be better than today. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. Don't even believe the truth of Abel's blood. Christ has given us a better covenant. He has 
just negotiated a better arrangement between the reality of our sin and the truth and challenge of his law. He has paid a debt we could not pay. And we celebrate today the better things that Christ's blood says to us. Christ's blood says, I have hope. Christ's blood says, I have joy. I'm thankful for the message of the blood. Amen. Our ushers are going to begin to serve you right now. This is Communion Sunday, as you know. Uh, We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. And we are, uh, we always take a moment in that time to allow you time to reflect. And so just as you are served, I invite you, I implore all of you uh, to take a moment and reflect upon the goodness of God in your life. Uh, Repent anything that is perhaps not right. Uh, Repent and let's celebrate together the Lord's Supper. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Lord, we pray for your mercy in our lives. We all of us offer a sincere apology for our sin and we ask for your mercy. We confess our neediness. We confess our nature of sin and spiritual rebellion and we ask you to change that nature by the infilling of your spirit in our life. Purify us, Lord Jesus. Wash us. Make us whiter than snow. In Jesus' name. you'll just wait to open your package, we will uh, all open it together in just a moment. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.